Shadow Talk. It's Friday, which means it's time for another episode of Shadow Talk, a weekly roundup of intelligence brought to you by the Digital Shadows research team. In this week's episode, reports of two new attacks using tailored SWIFT banking transfers. Ah, SWIFT, we knew you were trouble when you walked in. Healthcare extortionist, the Dark Overlord, loses his patience, comes out of hiding to regain publicity. And new research on Reaper of Souls as APT 37 targets organisations beyond the Korean Peninsula. All this and much more in this week's Shadow Talk. And joining me today is Harrison Van Riper. Hello, Harrison. It's been a few weeks since we last spoken. How are you coping with the cold in Dallas, Texas? Yeah, Mike, it has been a few weeks. Uh, It'd be fine. The cold is not what bothers me. It's mainly the rain, mainly because I washed my car just before this hit. So that was ideal. That is just perfect. And talking of cold, we've got Rose Bernard. Hello, Rose. Hi. (laughs) What have we got on Bernard's Watch this week? Well, we're going to talk about the Dark Overlord, and thank you for the cultural reference, letting everyone know just how old we are. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that'll, that'll go down an absolute treat. And last but by no means least, we've got Raphael Amado. Hello, Raph. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Welcome back. Not, not too bad. I'm very well, and uh, happy to be back, indeed. I think for the benefit of our listeners, we should probably explain what Bernard's Watch is for yes. our non-UK listeners, probably. I think that, that's reasonable. Uh, Bernard's Watch was a 1990s uh, children's programme. Uh, the premise was a person called Bernard had a watch and he could stop time at any point. What, what would you do if you could stop time, Raf? What would I... I mean, I don't want to say anything that will get me into trouble. I think if you asked a cyber criminal that or one of the actors we like looking at, they probably have a, a variety of different things to say. What would I do... I'd love to be a fly on the wall in somewhere like the White House or a Parliament building. So, probably stop time, get myself into a broom cupboard, and then listen in. Well, I'm, I'm glad we've dug into that very significant area of security to start off the pod. But I guess we should probably talk about what's happened during this week, and let's kick off by talking about the new reports of banking thefts using the the SWIFT network. Does anybody want to raise their hands and say what SWIFT stands for? Well, don't raise your hands up. Oh, oh, I do. Yeah, go on. It's the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. That's great. Thank you, Rose, and and thank you, Google. But anyway, this week we've learned that two banks were recently targeted by threat actors submitting fraudulent transfer requests achieved by exploiting the SWIFT network. Raf, what do we know about these attacks? So we've got two separate attacks being reported on this week. So the first one occurred to an unidentified Russian bank in 2017. A computer there was reportedly compromised and then used for fraudulent requests via the SWIFT network, as we said. Approximately six million US dollars were stolen. And then the second attack affected City Union Bank in India. The date of this one's again not specified. I think most of the reporting's assuming that it happened in 2017 as well. So in this one, attackers requested three unauthorized transfers to attacker controlled accounts in Turkey, Dubai and China. One of those requests was transferred via a standard chartered account in New York to Dubai, and that was worth around $500,000, but that one was actually blocked. Another one was a request transfer of 372000 to an account in Turkey through funds. Um, sorry, but those funds were blocked by a Turkish lender. And then 
the final one was a successful uh, transfer to China, where one million was was transferred. So almost eight million dollars have been stolen across both of these attacks. Although there's nothing to indicate that they're connected at the minute. Right. And do we know anything more on the specific tactics being used here? Well, Reuters, who's provided a lot of the initial reporting on this, so they said that the attack mimicked some of the tactics used in the Bangladesh heist in February 2016, specifically where actors have disabled the bank's printer to delay the ability to identify fraudulent requests. Union City itself said that transfers had not been initiated on their end, whereas the reporting on the Russian story said that the Russian bank systems were compromised. So it's, it's still a bit up in the air in terms of the tactics being used. We're getting different stories from different people. SWIFT, as always, they always maintain that they were not themselves compromised. They say that these type of fraudulent requests are made by following a compromise on the victim bank's side. So they firmly place the blame on that side. Right. And obviously, you mentioned the Bangladesh heist. Um, it's not quite on that level of theft. But do we know about anybody who's perhaps behind it? So there's no, there's no major leads on this one at the minute. I mean, with the Bangladesh heist and some of the other swift attacks, uh, I remember before BAE, for example, came out and claimed some of the attacks had been conducted by the Lazarus Group, which we talked about quite a lot last week. And then also the organized criminal group Carbonac have also been associated with some of these thefts in the past. As to these ones, um, there's, no, there's been no attribution at this time, but we can expect probably some people to come out in a few weeks' time or a few months' time with some more information on that speculating yeah all very interesting but that isn't the only million dollar theft this week we've seen more business email compromise as well uh, this time targeting fortune 500 companies within a bunch of different industries including retail financial healthcare and professional services as well Raf, would you like to explain to our listeners what exactly business email compromise or waning fraud is so business email compromise is a scam where attackers spoof company employees or suppliers, and they socially engineer their targets that way. Whaling is a specific type of business email compromise. Here, attackers spoof company executives, either by com- uh, compromising email accounts or domain spoofs or typo squats, and they'll typically send through an email requesting uh, a bank transfer or an invoice to be paid, and then the unsuspecting victim will, will transfer those funds over to them. Yeah, and th- there's... Big bucks to be made from, from doing this, obviously. Are there, are there any tips you would like to impart on our listeners? Yeah, it's important to update your security awareness training to include this kind of scenario. And this should be included in a ma- as a matter of course in new hire training, as quite a lot of companies do with things like spear phishing training. But it can also be done on an ad hoc basis. Um, And just as ransomware and destructive malware are now kind of built into incident response and continuity planning, this sort of thing should also be built into contingency plans. And that can start with something as simple as working with wire transfer application vendors to build in multiple personal authorizations to approve significant wire transfers. So it's not just on the say of one person who can be spoofed. Great stuff. Thank you very much, Rose. And on to our second story of the week. Uh, this means a new activity from the Dark Overlord, an individual or indeed a group that began by selling healthcare data on the dark web, but then turned instead to extorting the healthcare companies themselves. 
Rose, what's been the evolution since then and, and kind of what's happened now? Well, the Dark Overlord is a threat actor who's been around probably for just under two years now. And they started out in June 2016, where they advertised hundreds of thousands of records or alleged records, I should say, from US healthcare organizations on a marketplace called The Real Deal, which is now shut down. And that's kind of gone all the way through 2017 until now, when this week, after a gap of about three months, they tweeted that there were three new targets. So we had an educational institution or union of schools in the US, a law firm also in the US, and a vague and rather threatening allegation made against Hollywood, an unnamed company in Hollywood. Because the Dark Overlord has got form in kind of the movie, TV production yeah. space. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that they're most well known for is in May 2017, when they dumped apparent full episodes of the Netflix series Orange is the New Black. So they claimed to have breached a post-production company in the US called Larson Studios. And then they extorted them, I think, for about $50,000, but then published the episodes anyway as a punishment. So it's a really interesting way of how they started out with the healthcare sector, uh, moved through the financial sector, media sector, and have also taken in educational institutions as well. Yeah, and you mentioned kind of um, them publishing them anyway as a, as a form of punishment, and that was because they broke a contractual agreement. Is there anything notable about the, the TTPs of the Dark Overlord for anybody that may be concerned about that? So there are, they are fundamentally an extortion group. And although they started out selling healthcare data, well, what's really interesting about them is it's kind of thought that they only started selling healthcare data as a way of building up a reputation and that they were already extorting these companies. And this threat to sell was as a way of giving them an extra incentive to pay the extortion. So they tend to breach or claim they've breached a company's network and then they'll publish that they've breached this and they'll publish that they have an extortion demand as an incentive. They tend to target healthcare providers uh, largely because there's a perception that they work on reputation and that's very similar to the educational institutions but they do work on reputation, they work through social media. The healthcare as well isn't also because of the type of data that some of these organisations hold so for extortionist actors, the more sensitive the data is, the more damaging it might be for that information to come out. They feel it's a lot more lucrative and people are more likely to pay. So I think in the past there's been some quite horrible data that they tried to allegedly expose as well of people's like quite invasive surgeries and, and sensitive conditions. Yeah, and what's really interesting about them is now they've got to a point where they don't even have to prove that they have the data. They, they just, their claims are taken as real. Okay. While we're in extortion land, why don't we shift over and talk about ransomware, which hasn't been a, a huge topic recently, um, as we've seen and, and talked about actors favouring to, to mine cryptocurrency instead. Um, one of the biggest reasons the actors were struggling around ransomware were the, was the fluctuations in Bitcoin price, which made it pretty hard to, to tailor their ransom demands to the victims. With these prices now plateauing and everybody crypto mining now is 
the space for ransomware to crop up again, do we think? I'd take slight issue with that, Mike. I don't know. I think to say that ransomware is not as much of an issue anymore, I think there might be a bit of a bias in the reporting there. Yes, there's been, I don't know, ransomware has taken a back seat in a lot of the reporting, especially in media and security publications. Cryptocurrency is the flavor of the month at the minute. But we know infections are still going on. There's still people reporting ransomware infections every single day. We've actually, I think in a few weeks' time or in a, in a month or so, we've got our own webinar with the FBI where Harriet Gruen, a friend of the pod, is actually going to be presenting on this exact topic, emerging ransomware threats and how the ecosystem is changing. So I think there have been some changes in the ransomware ecosystem, which we can talk about. But to say that it's no longer an issue, I think that might be a bit too strong at this stage. I think organizations should still see this as a real credible threat. Okay. In terms of ransomware, have we seen any actual activity in the past week or so? Yeah, well, one thing is sort of ransomware as a service models, which became quite big last year, they're still going on now. So recently we've seen Saturn, Saturnware Ransomware as a Service crop up. And Ransomware as a Service is where operators rent out their variant to customers. They spread their malware in return for a percentage of the profit. So we've seen that with Petya, uh, Server, which has been a really profitable one as well. And this is part of a larger trend of these as a service models. So you have it in legitimate enterprises like cloud and software as a service. And then we saw it with malware and DDoS as a service. We've now seen it with ransomware as well. And this has many advantages from a cyber criminal perspective. You've got a greater chance of profit because you can basically provide your services to a load of people and they can do infections on your behalf, higher infection rate. It's good for actors with low technical capability because everything's provided for them. You can do wider targeting as well if someone else is doing it on your behalf as well. So there's a business case for it, obviously, that cyber criminals have copped onto. And with Saturn, the specific thing about that is it's free to sign up to the service itself. And then the customers basically get 30% of the extortion fee for each successful infection. In the U.S. this week, we actually had an incident of um, ransomware infection. So SamSam, which was, you know, kind of an up-and-coming player in the ransomware uh, space, was reported to be affecting uh, the Colorado Department of Transportation this week. Um, so about, I think about 2,000 of their computers um, had been infected by the ransomware and kind of going back to this idea that maybe the ecosystem is kind of shifting, the Colorado Department of Transportation stated that they weren't going to pay the ransom uh, and that they had system backups. So this is kind of a, you know, an example of where having system backups are kind of mitigating against a ransomware infection. You know, will more companies do this? You, you would certainly hope so, but this is kind of a... a good example of how strategies that have been talked about so often are kind of coming into play. Great stuff. And sticking with you, Harrison, um, we've got the final story of the week, which is on APT 37 or Reaper, North Korean actor that's been dropping zero days. There's been some alleged links drawn with group one, two, three. Who are each of these actors and what do they have in common? Yeah, so so APT thirty is it's an interesting case. So APT thirty seven, you know, reported by FireEye this week. Um, the reporting listed a couple of different um, links to Group One Two Three, which is uh, another um, uh, suspected North Korean state sponsored um, uh, entity. Uh, so. You know, th there weren't a ton of technical um, link linkages, I'd say, in the report. 
But what was there was, you know, certainly possible. So we've, we've been looking at the reporting this week. Basically, from APT 37, there were three kind of main vulnerabilities that they were exploiting. One was specifically in Adobe Flash Player, which obviously we've seen many uh, different exploits, you know, kind of affecting different vulnerabilities in that software. Additionally, targeting of the Hangul word processor, which is a, it's kind of like a, a Microsoft Word equivalent, but it's a very popular application in South Korea. So any exploit affect any vulnerabilities within this application specifically would be targeted against kind of South Korean users. And then the other was an equation editor vulnerability in the Microsoft Office suite. You know, these were kind of the three main ones that they pointed out. Obviously, this this actor has been observed using a bunch of different vulnerabilities, I'd say, in the past, or exploits, I should say. And it was actually kind of nice in the reporting. They provided a nice little um, timeline of, like, when they were using it um, throughout, you know, X period of time. So, but these were the kind of the three main ones that they had pointed out. Right. And then just to treat our listeners to the, the CVs themselves... Can we, can we list them out? Uh, yes. So the equation editor vulnerability is CVE 2018-0802. And then the Adobe Flash Player vulnerability was CVE 2018-4878. Happy days. So it's probably timely to wrap up there. Harrison, did you, you have, a, have a key takeaway? Was it to patch these vulnerabilities? <laughs> How did you read my mind? Yeah, so I would say... It, not just patching, obviously that's a very important part, but I'd say if you're a company operating, you know, any sort of business entities in South Korea, Japan, Vietnam, since these were the uh, target geographies of APT37, to definitely keep an eye on, on this threat actor. You know, whether or not the, the linkages between Group 123 and I think the other group was Scarcraft, um, you know, Regardless, it's kind of a good idea to just keep an eye on kind of everything that's going on and uh, keep up to date on it. Indeed. And over to Rose. What's your one takeaway for the week? My one takeaway for the week would be around business email compromise and about how there's actually some very simple things that you can do to mitigate this, like building and training for people. Um, and actually, it's often just a case of awareness raising, but you have to make sure that becomes standard practice rather than just ad hoc. Fantastic. And finally, Raf. So yeah, from me, be don't be like Mike Marriott. Ransomware is still a threat, and it's going to continue in 2018. Don't be fooled into thinking that it's gone away. Um, organizations should still model for this threat. They should still prepare the defenses. One thing we like to advocate at Digital Shadows is what we call the ransom, a ransomware playbook. You should have a specific playbook in mind for how you deal with this. And what we mean by a playbook is, why don't you actually simulate a ransomware attack? Like, you can send out phishing emails to your employees. How would your legal team respond in the case of a ransomware infection? How would your incident response team respond? Well, there's many different parts of your organizations which need to know exactly what their roles are, operations, as I said, legal, maybe perhaps your PR team as well. So that's what I'd say. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And thank you to all three of you for joining. Thank you, Mike. Have a good week, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Shadow Talk. For more information on our research, please visit resources.digitalshadows.com.